Welcome to the hills. And whether you're watching online or in person at one of our campuses, I never take for granted that you're part of the listening community of our church and that I have the privilege of bringing God's Word to you every week. And I'm praying that you will be blessed today. We're in a short series called Hard Faith. We're looking in the book of Habakkuk at ways that we can develop and exercise the kind of faith we need when hard times come. And the only way you can develop that kind of faith is to welcome hard questions. I thought about the value of questions recently. I saw a story you may have seen of an army recruit. I guess he went a little nuts and decided, I'm leaving camp and I'm going home. He took a rifle and hijacked a bus and told the driver to take him to a certain town, not realizing there were 18 kindergartners on that bus who immediately began to pepper him with questions. What's your name? Why are you here? Why do you have a gun? Where are we going? How long is it going to take? Are you going to hurt us? Are you going to hurt him? After four miles, he couldn't take it, stopped the bus and ordered all the kids to get off. And their questions may have saved their lives. And questions are an important part of saving your faith. Because every day, life sends us this text message. Something is wrong. And that was made abundantly clear at all of our campuses last week when we made space in our services to name our losses over the last 15 months. If you weren't with us, we had post-it notes available. We created these walls in every campus. And during a worship time, we said, come and bring your loss and your grief and present it to the Lord. And the response in every service at every campus was overwhelming. Now, I office at the North Richland Hills campus. So on Monday, driving to the uh, office, I thought, I'm going to go into the worship center. I want to read all those notes. When I walked in, I saw Jenny New, one of our ministers, in a chair in front of one of the walls, and tears were just pouring down her face. And it confirmed what I suspected, that this was going to be gut-wrenching. And it was. And I went to the Southlake campus and read all the notes there, and to the West Fort Worth campus and read all the notes there. And every experience was gut-wrenching. And so many of the notes at every campus were so alike. I, I would categorize them into three basic groups. There were people expressing their relational losses, losses that won't come back. The single greatest number of post-it notes just listed the names of people that had died in the last year, many to the virus. And many said what made it more painful was you couldn't even be there with them in their last days. But it wasn't just lost to death. At every campus, there were notes about marriages failing, about friendships ending over arguments over different issues. And then there were what I would just call connection losses. Not relationships that were forever gone, but had been severed by all the isolation. People mourn the loss of time with family. 15 months with never seeing your grandkids. 
missing your own daughter's wedding, missing your friends at church. I saw notes from children. I lost a season of baseball. I lost fourth grade. I lost the chance to make memories you want to make your senior year. And then there were what I would just call soul losses. Note after note, last year I lost my joy. I lost my peace. And even, honestly, I'm losing my faith. But one of the most important things about last week is not just what we did, but where we did it. At church. In the midst of all this loss, instead of running from God, you brought your pain to God. You didn't walk away from God when it would have been easy. You pressed in to pursue hard faith. The kind of faith that is hard to come by. And the only kind of faith that is going to sustain you when hard times come by. And our friend Habakkuk is helping us pursue such a faith. It's a short little book, just three chapters. He's the only prophet that never addresses the people in his book. Because his problem is with God. He can't understand why God is letting things go as wrong as they seem to be going. He says, God, why do you tolerate all the evil and the wickedness and the oppression in the land? And God answered and said, I don't plan to tolerate it. I plan to send the Babylonian people to invade your land and conquer your people and punish all the wickedness. Well, that just seemed to upset him more. God, why on earth would you use a people more evil than we are to punish us for our evil? And so either way, it seems like, God, you're letting evil win. So his faith struggle is trying to reconcile the deity that he believes is on the throne with the reality that he knows is in the street. God, you are holy. You are the rock. So why are things so rocky? Why is it like it is if you are who you are? Now, easy faith is going to crumble under the pressure of that question. And that's what happens to a lot of people. They are taught how to have easy faith. How to believe in God as long as everything is going well. And faith that is based on a lack of affliction lives on the brink of extinction. I need to say that again. If your faith depends on a lack of problem, then your faith is on the brink of extinction. We need a faith that will sustain us when we are between the rock and a hard place. We need a faith that can withstand the pressure when the hard questions come, and they will come. And hard faith presses into God when hard times come. And hard faith hangs in with God when God gives hard answers like he did to Habakkuk. 
Habakkuk says, why do you let so much evil abound? God says, I don't. I'm going to judge it with the Babylonians. Well, why would you do that? That doesn't make sense. And I said last time, we need a God who doesn't always make sense. I need a God whose thoughts are above my thoughts, whose ways are greater than my ways. It makes sense to me. God's not always going to make sense to me. But that means I'm going to have to live in the fog and wait for it to lift. And so, hard faith doesn't just ask why. We talked about that last time. But hard faith has to learn to ask how long. That's how Habakkuk starts his complaint. Chapter 1, verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? How long faith struggles with the timing of God? And you've been there. How long, God, until we finally get pregnant? How long, Lord, is my marriage going to be like this? How long is this cancer going to last? How long until this depression goes away? How long until my child starts making better decisions? How long until revival comes to the church? How long must we watch the moral decline of our nation? How long, Lord? How long faith struggles with the timing of God? How long faith wrestles with a God who can, but he hasn't? And that's hard faith. A faith that says, God, you can do anything. And right now, I don't see you doing anything. It's the faith of the saints. Psalm 6.3, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? How long faith is faith because it believes in God. And it's hard because it's waiting for a future that you want to come, that you think ought to come, that you think will come. But it hasn't come. How long faith is hard faith. And maybe it will encourage you to know it's the kind of faith that runs all through the Bible. It's the kind of faith that inspires me. When I look at the people who've had a huge impact in my life, they weren't the people who never had a life without trouble. They were a people that learned how to be resilient and wait on God. And the Bible gives us language. Some of the best worship songs in the Bible are for people who are waiting. Psalm 13, how long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? You see, sometimes when we're struggling in faith, the problem is why? But a lot of the time, the problem isn't why. The problem is 
when? How long, faith, lives between how things are and how things will be? And I got a note last week from a veteran preacher I appreciated. He thanked me for the first message in this series, and he said, I believe a lot of preachers set their people up to have a faith crisis. I knew exactly what he meant. I don't think they intend to. But so often the message people hear is, you know what, if you would just believe harder, that we preach God as if he's some kind of divine jack-in-the-box, and I'll teach you how to turn the crank. And if you'll just do some more of this, and if you'll do some less of that, God will just pop up and fix everything. That's easy faith. But it's not going to sustain you because there's going to come a season where you're turning to crank and God isn't popping up. Hard faith. The kind of faith that is going to have to leave the timing to God. And that's what God told Habakkuk. You're going to have to leave the timing to me. Habakkuk said, you know, I'm going to climb up on the rampart and I'm going to just wait for God to give me an answer to my complaint. And here's the answer he got. The Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. God said, Habakkuk, I have an answer. I have appointed a time, but the time isn't now. Though it linger, wait for it. Has God ever told you that? Though it linger, wait for it. God was calling you to exercise some how long faith. And you're going to have to learn that. Because you're going to live some of your life between the rock and a hard place. So let me teach you three things quickly about how long faith. And here's the first. It does not interpret silence as absence. So it's Father's Day. For many, it's a day to celebrate. For some, it's a day to lament. For example... The picture you're seeing is of a man that I think might be the greatest athlete of my lifetime. He's Bo Jackson. Still the only athlete who has been an all-pro in two different major league sports. All his teammates envied Bo Jackson. And Bo Jackson said, I always envied my teammates. Because after the game, their dads came into the locker room. Bo Jackson was an all-pro in baseball and football, and his father never came to see him play one time. You ever feel like your father in heaven has gone off the grid? That he's not showing up when you need him? It's time for how long, faith? See, what stands out to me about Habakkuk is his conviction. His lack of awareness of God's presence didn't prove God's absence. That just because I am not aware that God is here 
That doesn't mean God is not here. That his knowing nothing about what God was doing didn't mean that God was doing nothing. And that's why he was so bold. God, I know you're doing something. I don't see it. I don't understand it. Could you enlighten me? We sing sometimes in one of our worship songs, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. That's what hard faith says. What hard faith decides is, I'm going to believe the best about God when I can't see what God is doing. I'm going to wait on God believing the best about God. And isn't it true that in hindsight, you often get the why for the when? In hindsight, you look back and say, now, God, I understand why you waited to then for the when. So some of you have been to Rome and you've seen the Sistine Chapel. Painted by Michelangelo. It took him four years. Many did not want him chosen for the assignment because he was known as a sculptor, not a painter. But the Pope picked him. And immediately he began to be criticized. It was taking so long. And he finally said to his critics, Even if I could explain my vision, I'm not obliged to. I need to ask you to wait until the project is finished, and then you will understand my vision. Hard faith can wait till the fog lifts because it knows my vision might be obstructed. God's is not. God sees exactly what's going on. And there's one thing about the future hard faith can always see. And that's this. How long faith is certain of God's ultimate triumph over evil? See, Habakkuk wasn't sure when the answer would come. He was absolutely sure of the ultimate outcome. That the rock was going to ultimately crush the evil on the earth and make things right. And so in chapter 2, there's a a song. It's a funeral dirge, and it's a weird song because it celebrates someone's death. The only thing I can think of to compare it to, did you ever see the Wizard of Oz? Ding dong, the witch is dead, witch oh witch, the wicked witch. Habakkuk 2 is a song that is happy that somebody has died. And it says why Babylon is going to die. God is going to judge Babylon for her greed. For her cheapening of human life, for her exploitation of the weak, and for her idolatry, and God did. Today, you go to Wikipedia, you look up Babylon, it says, comma, ruins of. And so heart faith, how long faith, may never get a full explanation for all the evil in the world, but it does have a final answer to it. God is not going to let evil get away with anything. And so hard faith waits and anticipates the coming judgment of God. And that's where Habakkuk finally landed, chapter 3, verse 16. I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones, my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Now, church, you got to understand, this is a big message in the Bible, that there's a lot of evil in the world. And when there is so much pressure, when you're surrounded by evil, one way you 
let the pressure off is you accommodate and you go along with the flow of the culture. And the consistent message of the Bible is think long term, not short term. God is going to judge all this evil around you right now. For example, the last book of the Bible is called the Revelation. John is writing to Christians who are being harassed by the world power called Rome. And in Revelation, Rome is called Babylon. And the message over and over is don't sell out. Don't go along. Don't accommodate. Don't compromise because judgment is coming on Babylon. In fact, I could sum up the whole book of Revelation with three short phrases. God is going to win. You have to choose a team. Don't be stupid. (laughs) Now, easy faith will sell out. Hard faith will hang on. And it's critical because here's the truth. Sometimes the tyrants outlast the victims. So go back again to the book of Hebrews. Again, it's a book written to people feeling pressure, telling them to hang on and not sell out. And you got this chapter 11, all these people in the Bible that were people of great faith. And it tells of all the great things they did. They conquered kingdoms and killed giants and shut the mouths of lions and overthrew cities. But you get to the end of the chapter and it says, and some were arrested and some were tortured. And some were left destitute. And some were killed. Then it says, All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. Now listen. Do you understand that in this lifetime, in these sin-infected bodies that we have, none of us are going to receive all God has promised. God has promised a sin-free, pollution-free, good earth. God has promised a humanity that lives in harmony and peace and love. God has promised a future where death is not a part of the story anymore. And none of us are going to receive all that God has promised in this life. We're going to have to exercise some hard, how long, faith. But we can wait restfully instead of fretfully. Because here's the last thing we learn. How long faith rests in quiet confidence in the sovereignty of God. Nothing in the street can change who is on the throne. And I tell you, if Christians would believe that one line, we would calm down and we would probably post a lot less. (laughs) Nothing on the street changes who is on the throne. And so that song in chapter 2 ends with this beautiful verse. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Now, when I was a boy in the little church I was raised in, we had a short song in our hymnal based on that verse. Some of you are old enough to remember it. 
It went like this. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Keep silence, keep silence, keep silence before him. We always sang that song at the very start of the service, and it was our signal. God's in the house. It's time for everyone to be quiet. <laughs> and the intention was good, but perhaps misunderstood. Because that song was not calling people to be reverent. That song was calling people to be confident. You see, when... When many heard the Lord is in his holy temple, they were thinking about an actual brick house in Jerusalem. The Babylonians were coming. And they were about to tear that house down brick by brick. That's not what Habakkuk meant. He was in line with the psalmist in chapter 11. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. And what he's saying in that song is, those Babylonians could come and they can destroy that temple. But nothing is going to end the reign of God. God is on his throne. God looks down on this earth. God is in charge. See, hard faith doesn't just trust God to be Savior. It trusts God to be sovereign. Hard faith Humbly acknowledges God is good, God's on the throne, God's in charge, God has got this, and God doesn't really need our advice on how to run his universe. And so, when life gets slippery, how long faith will give you some stability? Because you rest in the sovereignty of God. And it will help other people find their footing as well. I want to give you an example of that by showing you a video in a moment. So Ryan Christian has been a worship minister in our church for over two decades. And a couple of years ago, his wife Kelly discovered she had a brain tumor. And the journey for Ryan Kelly and their children has been long and hard and it's not over and what you as you, they tell their story to listen especially to Kelly and the kids talk about what it means to be led by a man who understands how long faith watch this please In 2019, Maddie was a sophomore in college and Ethan a senior in high school. And then it was February 4th, 2019, and Kelly was making dinner and called me into the kitchen. Uh, and then she had the grand mal seizure and everything changed. So then the surgery happens on February 21st of that year, they did the open brain surgery. They got out as much of the tumor as they could and um, they could not get it all out. So a lot of that tumor is still in there. And then the recovery began. 
we thought that I would have surgery and I would get better quickly. We were not uh, ready for the seizures. Healing was not was not even on my mind from the for the brain tumor. On, honestly, it was just what are things going to be like after? Especially not knowing if it was ever going to get better. We just didn't know. To me, hard faith means a lot of waiting. A lot of um, uncertainty, I just didn't understand. Uh, that feeling of being totally out of control. Leaning on our friends that love the Lord too, just not doing this alone. Especially whenever you're 20 years old and this happens, it just feels like time is slower, a year feels more significant, and this journey went on a lot longer than what any of us had expected. My dad is definitely a loyal person, like in general he is, but especially I'm seeing it with my mom in this season. I know that my dad, especially in the beginning, was really, he was afraid, but it was also evident that he was overcoming that because of, he was choosing to trust in the Lord um, over all these circumstances that are going on. Ryan was, in many cases, the presence of God to me. When I was doubting, he would read to me scripture. And when I was afraid, he would hold my hand and he'd pray with me. And I needed him to do that because I was too weak. There were times where I was like, I am, I am done. I needed him to be faithful for us. Thank God I had a godly husband there to say, it's, it's, it's about God. It's about God, it's gonna be okay. He's gonna take care of us. Just growing up, I've always looked up to him. I get to see what a good father is to his children during times of trouble, what a good husband is to his wife in times of trouble. I, sometimes I wish it went about a different way, but um, what the Lord has brought out of this crazy time is really amazing. As hard and scary as it was to see him like vulnerable in some moments, I knew that the root of it was love and loyalty towards my mom. And really even just for the rest of us, the way that he would take care of us too during that time. A verse that hit me hard throughout was Romans 8.28, which is um, for those who love God, we know that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I just remember like, um, this is an evil world but the Lord can use this uh, for good, and He has for our family. And so I would say it's just about learning that God's timing is not our timing, but that doesn't change who He is. And that even in the midst of waiting, He's still, he's still present in our family and He's still working. So, um... Here's the thing, what last week made very clear to me is that my church is full of people right now between the rock and a hard place. What I cannot do with integrity is tell you how to turn a crank and make God pop up. But what I can do with integrity is tell you that God is good. That God is on the throne. 
that God knows where you are, even if you're not sure where He is. And I can tell you that the death and the resurrection of Jesus is my promise. This story is going to end well. So hang in. In fact, right now, together, at every campus, why don't we all just sing that song? The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Keep silence. Keep silence. Keep silence. I want you to take a moment and just do that. Just bow your head. Just be quiet before the Lord for a few seconds. And just rest in the truth that God's in charge. Oh, God, you do not change, but we can. So increase our faith, our determination not to sell out, but to hang on. And we want Jesus to come quickly, but until he does, help us wait well. For his glory, we ask it. Amen.